Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constan from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health outcomes and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. I am Elise Karen, Practice Improvement Coaching Lead for Cardio's Team Best Practices and Associate Professor of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University. Today's podcast will highlight a successful quality improvement initiative at Five Rivers Medical Surgical Health Center in Dayton, Ohio, focused on blood pressure control. Five Rivers participated in the MedTap Hypertension Quality Improvement Project and demonstrated improved blood pressure control for its African-American patients, a key outcome for the project. With me today is Dr. Mamle Anim. Dr. Anim is the Chief Medical Officer at Five Rivers Health Center, a federally qualified health center in Dayton, Ohio, and an Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine at Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine. She graduated from the Zambia School of Medicine in 1990 and completed her residency in internal medicine at Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine in 1997. She also completed a primary care faculty development fellowship at Michigan State University in 1999. Dr. Anim's primary care practice is at Five Rivers. She established an adult sickle cell clinic at Five Rivers and precepts internal medicine residents and hematology oncology fellows in that clinic. Dr. Anim is an avid patient advocate and is passionate about providing high-quality health care to all patients in her community. She is also a published author in peer-reviewed medical journals. Welcome, Dr. Anim. Thank you. So the goal of today's podcast is to learn from a successful QI initiative. Can you tell me what it's like to be on a QI team in your primary care clinic? So Elise, I just wanted to start by saying at Five Rivers, we really are built on a culture of QI and QA. We're always trying new things to improve our processes and clinical quality. So it wasn't foreign to us to be part of an effort like this. As you know, being an FQHC, we have to report on uh, certain quality measures in addition to other information to HRSA on an annual basis. And blood pressure control is one of those measures we have to report on. Also, as the chief medical officer, this is one of my primary roles, to focus on clinical quality. And I've led our organization in efforts like the NCQA PCMH process and getting our sites to become level three recognized patient-centered medical homes. So it's really a natural fit for me to be involved in all our quality efforts. And even though now we have other staff who are leading the drive, I stay involved in it because it's inherent to what I do and I believe in quality improvement. Thank you. So can you describe some of the QI work that you're doing in your clinic and how you implemented it and aligned it with your organizational priorities? Um, as I said, we have to participate in HRSA quality initiatives. Last year, we had 16 quality measures we, to report on, and we had QI projects around about six of them. Every year, we try to pick a few measures that we're either not doing well on or find important based on our patient population to focus on. We build QIQA projects about, around them with staff and provider involvement to uh, foster improvement. And more specifically, um, as you said, we are part of the METAP project on hypertension that was started in 2017. 
Since Five Rivers was established about nine years ago, we've struggled with hypertension control in our patients. We have our own set goals, and we also aim to achieve the healthy 2020 goals for hypertension control, and we have not been doing well. So when this project came along, it was an excellent opportunity for us to jump in and see whether by doing something completely different from what we've done in the past, we could actually move the needle. We realized early in the process as we got into this that there are many layers of changes that we're going to implement. And we had to come up with a team that was going to sustain each and every layer as we progressed through the process. We also came up with a realization that we needed to make sure that whatever process was introduced at each step had to be done every time, all the time, with every patient, and reinforced this at every meeting. This really worked for us. It was a huge endeavor, and we learned a lot of things along the way. We realized that some steps are going to take longer than others, and some steps you can just do in a couple of weeks, others take a long time. For example, when we started, we spent almost four months on teaching our staff how to take blood pressure correctly. And we had thought this was one of the easiest steps because we took blood pressures all the time. But it took four months to keep teaching people to do it right, making sure each and every person in the organization who took blood pressures had gone through the training and had been checked off as a competent skill. And then also making sure that as we got new staff, they also went through the same process. So after two years of doing this, we've really been able to move our blood pressure readings from for our total population, not just the sites involved in the projects, all our sites. When we started this project in 2017, a blood pressure control for our eligible patients was 50.4%. By the end of 2019, 62.3% of our patients have controlled blood pressure, which is amazing. It really showed us that every tiny little step, even some that were so tedious, makes a difference. And eventually the big picture comes into view, which is encouraging. Thank you. So that, that was very helpful. Um, and one of the things you talked about was that you have a culture of quality at your institution. And you said that from your view as the chief medical officer, that it's really important to stay involved in those quality improvement activities. How are other administrators involved in quality improvement activities at your organization? So going through the patient-centered medical home process and structure, it taught us that that when, you're, when you want to make a change and you want to transform your practice and introduce new concepts, you need a lot of people from, actually not a lot, but people from every level in the organization that are going to be impacted the change. You need leadership and you also need the boots on the ground. You need people who are clinical and you need administrative people on, at the table. So we set up the hypertension quality improvement team at each site. The site that um, we are talking about today, the medical surgical site, we have internal medicine residents, and we realized that they needed to be involved because they were the majority of the providers there. We also made sure we had the residency um, administration, the, the attendings, preceptors involved. We had the site managers. We had somebody from the front desk. We had medical assistants. We had uh, nurses. Um, so we came up with a core group of people who were involved in clinical quality and also administrative. Um, there was also, at least between me, our quality transformative health uh, manager, we have a quality programs nurse and a data compliance person. We were the core group. We were at each and every meeting. And then we brought in other roles as needed be. 
in our organization, we typically don't involve the CEO, CFO, or COO because I'm at the table and I'm the representative from the leadership team and I take information back to them. Yeah, one of the things we realized as we were doing this, we started, we had frequent meetings, weekly meetings, and we realized that we were actually uh, sabotaging the process by pulling people away from their clinical duties so frequently. So we reduced it to monthly meetings. Um, and then, as I said, we realized that not everybody needed to be in each and every meetings, depending on what we're talking about. So if we needed to do something that impacted the registration pro process, we pulled the front desk pe uh, people in and the medical assistants didn't need to be there. Um, and if we're talking about how to take blood pressure, we brought the clinical people in and removed the administrative people. So all of that kind of helped us um, bring only people who needed to be in the process at our meetings. So you make a really good point when you say not everybody needs to be at all of the meetings and adjusting the frequency of your meetings as you see fit is really important. So when you say the frontline staff were involved in the QI activities, how were they involved? really to get their input because sometimes those of us who plan these QI projects are not the people who are doing the things we're planning. And so if you want to make a change, it's important to listen to and involve the people that the change is going to impact. You want to hear how they are doing, what they are doing, and what the current process is um, before you start introducing your ideas. Um, because if you don't have their buy-in, they are not going to um, listen to you or they may not be um, engaged as you want them to be. So once they share their ideas and you share your ideas, and then as a group, you hash it out, uh, try to explain to them why it's important to do this, and they bring their ideas to the table. Um, if you don't listen to them, you're going to get a lot of frustrated people. You don't know their workflow, and you don't understand what they're doing. Um, so it's really helped us to listen to our, our staff, uh, figure out what's going to frustrate them, and then do get their buy-in. And sometimes we learn from them and change things that we have to do. So you don't, if you have one frustrated person at your table and you don't do anything about it, if you roll it out, you're going to have a lot more frustrated people. So it's better to figure out things early instead of um, wasting time rolling out projects that won't work. You also mentioned that you have uh, data people on your QI teams. How have you used your electronic health record to support your quality improvement initiatives? When we started this project, honestly, we had no data from an EHR because those reports that we needed did not exist. One of our challenges is we contracted EPIC, which is an EHR, from one of the hospital systems in our area. And for them, this project was not important. This report did not impact them. So this is one of the reasons why having leadership support in the project is important because we took it to the highest levels um, to the hospital system to say, this is important. We need this report. We've got to get it. So after almost a year of harping on it, they finally were able to dedicate staff and time to build the reports that we needed. Initially, we were doing 20 patient chart reviews um, and getting that information, which was obviously not adequate. And it was a game changer when we started getting the population, the data for the full population, because we could really see the impact of what we were doing. So harnessing your EHR to give you the data 
is positive reinforcement for your team to actually see that they're making a difference on that wide scale. It also helps you to realize if you're doing something and going in the wrong direction. Um, so data is critically important to the success of your uh, project. So one of the other things you talked about was that sometimes these QI efforts can be really time consuming if you're meeting weekly. And I know that's often a concern for leadership when they're investing in a quality improvement project. Have you noticed that your staff participating in a quality improvement projects, how has that affected their productivity? So I'll start by saying that no matter what, every QI project is going to affect productivity because you're asking people to do things that they were not doing before. Um, at our organization, we do a lot of different things simultaneously. So it's hard for me to say this project impacted uh, productivity more than another, but I definitely know that it does. One of the things you need to do in every QI project is to let your staff know that you know this is going to slow them down and you're not going to blame them for the fact that they are not maybe as productive as they were prior to initiating the process. We also try to look as much as possible on processes and things that they were doing that maybe they didn't need to do because sometimes staff are doing things that they've just they're doing because they've always done it um, and they don't even know the reasons why. All the reasons why they're doing it no, no longer exist, but this is something somebody told them to do and they continue doing it. So as we were adding processes, this is one of the advantages of having people around the table. When they tell you what they do, then you can ask them, how do you do this and why do you do this and why do you do that? So that we can get to the root of things and sometimes take some processes out as you're adding so that we don't, they don't feel like we just keep adding things for them to do. And again, I said, listen to their frustrations because sometimes just by taking away something, you get their buying a little bit more because maybe there's this thing they've always done they hate and now you're saying, oh yeah, you don't need to do it anymore. The other thing is as you're doing this to give staff time to get used to one process before you add another. So you want them to master it, get it in their flow before you add one more thing. This will also limit the impact on productivity because once they are comfortable with doing something, they are ready to start a new one. Too many at once will definitely negative, negatively impact productivity and morale. So just a follow-up question about that. You understood that it affected productivity and you explained to your staff that you weren't gonna blame them if they weren't as productive. Do you think that really affected their job satisfaction or their organizational commitment? Yes, I did. Um, because a lot of times people say, I don't want to do this or I'm, or I'm going to get in trouble for doing that. Um, so if at the start you empower them and let them know that you're not going to get into trouble, we are giving you permission to do this or even you get to do this because it's good for the organization and we want to learn something for it, they will feel empowered and they'll do it because they know it's good for the quality of the patient care. That's great. So one last question about your quality improvement efforts and your teams. Have you had patients participate in any of your QI efforts? And if so, can you talk about that a little bit? Definitely. Um, and especially with hypertension, there were a lot of changes that impacted our patients. One of the first things we did in early in the project is we did home blood pressure monitoring, and we focused on it quite a while. Initially, we actually uh, contracted with a company with software and a machine that could had Bluetooth-enabled blood pressure monitoring. 
um, that we gave to their patients to send us their blood pressure readings. And then we also focused a lot on home blood pressure monitors, ordering for the patients, showing them how to use it. They send us the information so that we can use it to take care of them, even if they're not in the office with us. Um, the other thing is we ask patients to come back more frequently than they had in the past. Um, if your blood pressure was high, you needed to come back within 35 days. And we would actually put the first appointment within two to three weeks because we wanted to give us all that buffer. If patient missed their blood pressure follow-up, we could still get that second appointment in within the allotted time. Um, so bringing patients in more often, they, they complain, like, why do I have to suddenly come in more frequently? I've been coming here for years and nobody had told me to do this. What's the point? Um, so, you know, having patients understand that this is because we really want to get your blood pressure under control to improve your health. The other thing we did is we hired two community health workers. So these are people who are going to go to patients' homes um, to talk to them about their, their medications, their diets, and kind of figure out what barriers patients were going through. So patients had to be okay with allowing a stranger to come into their house um, to take care of them, something we had never done before in the past. So overall, what you realize is you, the patients have to understand why why they are going through this, why it's important, and why it's going to help them. So information, signage, and just discussion with the patients as to the importance of the changes that you're doing is important so that they also um, agree and have your, the buy-in. So you, you're the medical director at a federally qualified health center, so we understand that you know some of your patients have issues like access to transportation. So if you're bringing them in more often, did they struggle with the ability to get into the clinic to, to see you to have their blood pressure rechecked? Yes, they did. Um, and they still do. One of the good things is over the past year and a half, we now have Uber Health uh, to provide transportation services to our patients. So patients who are unable to come in on their own can be referred to the social worker, transportation department, and we can assist them with their transportation needs to get them in if need be. The community health worker is also useful because when they go and visit the patient in their home and reinforce to them that they need to come in for their visit and note that transportation is one of the barriers. They can also arrange uh, transportation for the patients. They really look at all social determinants of health barriers that our patients are facing and try to help um, overcome them as much as possible. Do you think you could give another example of how you did that in addition to transportation? So one of the programs we were involved with last year was a food program called Produce Perks. We partnered with one of lo the local farmers to provide fresh produce for our patients for over about three months. Um, for patients to qualify, they had to be hypertensive, diabetic, or have a BMI um, above a certain level. They got these produce for three months. Um, prior to the involvement, we checked their blood pressure, their weight, and their hemoglobin A1C. And then we repeated the same measures after the three months was over. We were able to show that Patients who were involved in the program dropped their blood pressure. Some, their A1C also improved, and some of them lost weight. It was a really awesome program because part of what the patients told us is they learned to eat new foods. Each box of produce came with a recipe, could use the ingredients in the box. And so patients learned to appreciate new vegetables that they would never have thought to even purchase and said they had learned new things to eat and would probably make healthier choices when they went to the grocery store in the future. 
That's wonderful. I think a lot of people are struggling with that and will appreciate that example. Um, one last question about your quality improvement efforts. So we're all dealing with COVID-19 right now. Has this affected your team's ability to work on their quality improvement projects? And if so, how? COVID-19 definitely affected our QI team. I mean, it came in like a tsunami and just kind of threw everything out the window. The first month or so, um, mid-March, we literally canceled all our meetings. First of all, we couldn't meet face-to-face, and there was just a lot to, to figure out on how we could come up with what, what modes we're going to meet in. Um, and then there were just so many problems and things we needed to focus on to keep the organization going. We had to find new ways of taking care of patients. We developed telehealth literally in a week, something that could have probably taken us two years um, to work on. Um, So at that point, it was just survival mode, and we're focusing our energy on things we had to do. We had to set up, you know, Zoom accounts, Microsoft Teams, and we found a a, a HIPAA-compliant medium to um, do our telemedicine uh, process. At the beginning, people were afraid. People were wondering what was going to happen. So we had to put quality on the back burner and just take care of the immediate needs. So now, we, you know, it's been a month. We're feeling a little bit less stressful, kind of settling down into this new normal. And we're feeling like we can go back to having our quality meetings. Um, we've been in touch with our patients. They know how to contact us. We figured out little kinks. I mean, there's still challenges to come, but we feel like we can now go back to focusing on QI. But we may not need to focus on other things than we were. One of the examples is focus more on home blood pressure monitors for our patients. So when we now call them for their telemedicine appointments, they can give us some readings. Um, we are still working on trying to limit the number of people who come to the office. So those two-week blood pressure checks are not going to be done as well as they were done in the past. So the focus is still there, but it's changing because we have new challenges. And that's what QI, QA is about, to, you know, build projects around things that you need in, in your, your reality. So we're going we're gonna to take care of it. It's been good. It's been challenging, but we think we will be able to, to overcome and get back on track. That's very helpful, too. Thank you very much. I, I just have one last question for you overall. It seems at Five Rivers, you've done a really good job of building a culture and sustaining a culture of quality. Lots of other clinics really, really struggle with that. And that, so it's hard for them to get QI efforts off the ground and sustain them. What advice would you give to those clinics on how to build a culture of quality and sustain it? I think it's all about the messaging and the messaging that comes from the top. Um, It has to say this is important and then you want to keep talking about it. For lack of a better word, you need to nag your staff literally every day till it becomes second nature because we are humans and we have the way we do things and change is not easy. Um, So having people from leadership stressing this and also giving positive reinforcement is very, very helpful. So we're just consistent in our measure, uh, in our, our messaging to our staff and patients all the time. Do this every time, all the time, every patient. And I think the other thing is once you also empower your staff at different levels to play their roles in the quality improvement projects, having multiple people being responsible for the same thing, it helps to 
kind of cover for each other. So if one person doesn't do it today, another person may fill in the gap. Um, so by spreading out the roles, empowering different people in the organization and keeping your eye on the ball, you can help sustain uh, change across the organization. And then the last thing I'll say is to share your successes because if people see that what they are doing makes a difference and improve patient care, they'll be more interested in doing even more. Thank you to our featured guest, Dr. Anim, for joining us today. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular Health Collaborative.